You're listening to Ari Goldweg's Parsha podcast. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Kiseite. Before we discuss the topic that's actually inside the Parsha, I'd like to, by way of an introduction, give you a thought that I've heard in a few different places, one of them being Ravakivitats, as well as others. The idea is like this. There's something that's remarkably different about the Torah's outlook to life than all of the other religions in the world, whether it's Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, you name it. There's an attitude that the Torah puts forth that you won't find anywhere else. And it's something that plays itself out in many different areas, in the way the Torah commands, gives the commandments, and in the way the Torah expects us to behave, and in the way the Torah views spirituality. In other religions we find that the highest level, the way to create, the way to connect to spirituality is by totally disconnecting from the physical, by asceticism. The highest level in Christianity is someone who doesn't get married at all. A a priest who's totally unmarried, never has relations with a woman, or a nun, a woman who never has relations with a man. That's the highest level. The only way for the non-Jew, and the truth is that this is really the path of the non-Jew, the only way for a non-Jew to connect to spirituality is by totally disconnecting from the physical. The Chiddush of the Torah, the novelty that the Torah sets forth for the Jews, for the people of Israel, is that the way, through, the way to spirituality is not by disconnecting from the physical, but rather the way to spirituality is by using the physical as a vehicle to rise up to spirituality, or said another way, using the spiritual to raise the physical. Meaning the physical part of man is not to be squashed and denied, but rather raised by the spiritual. Thus, the physical actually becomes spiritual. That's the way of the Torah, that's the path of the Torah for the people of Israel, for the Jews. This plays itself out in many different areas. For example, there is no concept in Judaism that one should not get married. In fact, the whole, the whole institution of marriage in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, is described as kiddushin, holiness, because a person takes their natural desire for the opposite sex And instead of focusing on what I can get out of it and what the other person can do for me, the holy way is to focus on what I can do for the other person. And connecting to the other person in such a way that you bring down a new soul into the world, a new person into the world, the focus is on giving. That's why it's kadosh, it's holy, kedushin. It's something that's above. It's raising the physical to the spiritual. Another example of this is that everywhere you go in Yiddishkeit, in Judaism, you find a sudas mitzvah. A meal that's associated with a commandment. For example, when people get married, there's a mitzvah, a commandment to have a meal. And that, mitzvah, and that meal is a mitzvah for people to eat at that meal. Another example is a bar mitzvah. On the day that a boy becomes 13 years old, there's a mitzvah to have a meal. It's a commandment. And if you sit at that meal, you fulfill the mitzvah. Another example is when someone finishes a mesechta, when fun, someone finishes a tractate in Talmud. So there's also an idea that you have then a suudas mitzvah a meal that's associated with this mitzvah, with this celebration of finishing this Talmudic tractate. Another example is on Shabbos. Every single week, Shabbos, there's a chiyuv, there's an obligation from the Torah to have three meals on Shabbos. Food. We're constantly involved in eating. And the idea is because in the Torah, the most important thing is not just to be spiritual, but to raise the physical to the spiritual. It's a very deep idea. It's something that you see a lot in the Bali Machshava and all kinds of philosophical, the, the, the Jewish philosophical books. It's a theme that constantly plays itself out in many different areas, like we mentioned. To illustrate this point starkly, I'd like to share with you a beautiful mushal, a beautiful parable from Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. It's one of his famous stories, and it goes like this. 
There was once a great king who had a vast kingdom and he had many subjects, but he had only one son. And this one son, who was to be the next king, obviously, after the king passed away, this son was mad. He was crazy. He would sit all day long with his clothes off underneath the table and he would pretend, he would imagine, he would tell everyone that he was a chicken. And all he would eat was corn and small droppings from whatever was left over from the table. And the king obviously was quite concerned about his son. And he called him the best professors, the best doctors. They all looked at him and they said, there's nothing that we can do. They tried their best, but there was nothing that they could do to cure the son. Finally, a great wise man came and said to the king, I can cure your son. You just give me the chance and I will cure your son. The king said, great. If you, you know, everyone else tried, they were not successful, but maybe you can be successful. Please, try your best. And the wise man went to where the prince was sitting underneath the table. And the wise man too took off his clothes and sat underneath the table along with the prince. The prince looked up and saw this wise man and said, Who are you? And the wise man said, I'm a chicken. Who are you? And the prince said, Oh, I'm also a chicken. And the wise man said, Oh, very nice. And they continued on their way, each one eating their corn and the leftovers that fell from the table. The next day, after the prince had already gotten used to this wise man or this other chicken being right next to him, the wise man turns to the prince and says to him, You know, chickens also wear pants. And the prince says to the wise man, Oh, really? Chickens also wear pants? Okay. So the wise man pulls on a pair of pants. The prince pulls on a pair of pants. They continue on their way, eating their corn and their leftovers from the table. The next day, the wise man turns to the prince and says, You know, chickens also wear shirts. And the prince says, Oh, really? Chickens wear shirts? Okay, let's wear shirts. So they both put on shirts. And it continues this way. The following day, the wise man says to the prince, you know, chickens also eat regular people food. And the prince says, really? Okay, bring some regular people food. So they start to eat some chicken. <laughs> and finally, on the last day, the wise man says to the prince, you know, chickens also eat at the table like people. And the prince says, really? And they all eat at the table. And it continues until finally the prince is cured of his madness. And so it is with us. So it is with us. We fool ourselves into believing that we're just a chicken, we're just an animal. But the way the Torah is to tell you that no, you're not just an animal. You also have an neshama. We also have a soul. And the way to access the soul and access the spiritual is by saying, you know, you can be an animal, you can be a person, and also be spiritual. That's the path of the Torah, and that's the message of the story. Now let's get to Parshas Kiseitzei. The opening verses, the opening psukim of Kiseitzei say as follows: Kiseitzei la milchama alaivecha, unesanoi Hashem lakecha biadecha, v'shavisa shavioi. Can you imagine? You're at war, and you've conquered the enemy. V'ra'isa b'shavio ishas yifas toar, v'chashaktava v'lakachta lechal isha, and you will see amongst the booty a beautiful woman, and you will desire her, and you'll take her to be your wife. Bring her into your house, and shave off her hair, and let her fingernails grow. You have to replace the clothing that she was wearing in war, which was so beautiful, with clothes of mourning. Let her sit in your house, 
She has to cry about her parents that she misses so much. And she has to cry about the, her gods that she left. Only after this whole rigmarole can you come and marry her and sleep with her. And then he will be yours as a wife. She will be yours as a wife. But if you do not desire her, you can let her go. You can't sell her. Can't do anything to her, can't enslave her, because you have afflicted her. The commentaries explain not only does she have to wear clothes of mourning and cry over her family, shave off her hair, all these things, not only that, but she also has to convert, she has a forced conversion. In light of all that we've said, it seems to be strange, this whole parsha, this whole idea seems to be very odd and out of place. We understand that the Torah's mahalach, the Torah's way, is to raise the physical to the spiritual. But to take this woman, this woman is this, the lowest of the low, the, a beautiful woman from a different nation, someone who worships Avodazar, worships, worships idols. You're going to bring her into your house and you're going to marry her and you're going to, she's going to raise your children? It doesn't make sense. Like we understand, like marrying someone beautiful, that's, very, that's a good thing. You know, you can marry someone beautiful and... Uh, You'll desire her and you won't desire someone else. You can see how we can raise that from the physical to the spiritual. But marrying some woman from a, from a non-Jewish a non woman, you force her to convert. How does that raise the physical to the spiritual? It's really the opposite. It's something that's going to bring you down. In fact, Rashi says that if you marry a woman like this, you're going to end up hating her. Not only that, she's going to have a kid from you. And, she's going to, and that kid is going to be a Ben Sora Omora, a wayward child who's going to rebel against you. Only bad things are going to come out of this marriage. Why does the Torah permit it? Why does the Torah say that you can go through this whole process and then you can marry this woman? It doesn't seem to fit in with this whole idea of raising the physical to the spiritual. If anything, it's something that's, like we said, is going to bring you down. The answer to this question is something that we need to understand well and we need to understand how it applies to us because it's so important. The answer that Rashi, the Mephorshim, the commentaries explain is that the Torah... Hashem, God, the creator of the world, the creator of man, understands the psychology of man. And Hashem knew that if Hashem would say, if the Torah would forbid a man to take this woman home, he would for sure not be able to, to withstand such a test. A person's out on the field, out, in, out at war, and he sees this beautiful woman. Part of the reason that in those days they had these beautiful women was to entice the men so that they could be trapped and killed. You know, a person sees this woman and he's in a state of war, it's Im almost impossible, the Torah says, it's nearly impossible for this person to overcome such a desire. So the Torah created a process by which a person could take this woman home and in that way, do it in a permitted way. The commentaries explain further that the truth is that the whole purpose of this whole process, she comes home and they shave off her hair and they let her nails grow and she cries and she wears clothes of mourning. The whole process, the point is, that when a person is out there on the field and she, he sees this beautiful woman dressed beautifully and everything, his lusts overcome him. He's seized by desire. He can't help himself. He wants to be with this woman. However, when he goes through this whole process and she makes herself look ugly and she wears disgusting clothing and she's crying and she's, she's just in a horrific state. So that's something that will prevent him. It will allow his desires, his lusts to cool. 
And in this way, the Torah, in fact, is trying to release a person from the bonds of his physical. Meaning, it's, it's, the Torah is set up this whole process in order that he should not end up marrying her. In order that he should end up seeing her for what she truly is, which is a, a, a low life, someone who has no quality, no real value. That's the whole purpose of this. What we see from this whole subject is that God, our Creator, intimately understands our nature. And everything that He does, all the commandments that He commanded, are in perfect line with all the things that we need and what we can accomplish and what we cannot accomplish. That means when the Torah says that we should do something, the Torah understands that this is something that's possible for us to do. When the Torah says not to do something, the Torah understands this is something that's not possible for us to do. God understands our psychology perfectly. He created us. And that means that, as the Torah says itself, Loba Shamayimi, the Torah is not too far away, not impossible for us to do, not too high up in the heavens. It's not across the sea. It's not something that's too difficult to obtain. Everything that the Torah says to do, everything that the Torah commands, is something that we can do. Otherwise, God will not demand it from us because He understands what we can and cannot do. That's what we see from this whole, that's the lesson. That the Torah, when, it's, when the Torah in fact sees that it's something that we cannot withstand, the Torah says, here, here's a way that you can do it in a permitted fashion. And hopefully you won't end up doing it in the end. But, there is a permitted way to do it. In fact, the Gemara says, the Talmud states, that for every forbidden pleasure that exists in the world, there is an equal pleasure that's permitted. And what that means is that when God said things are forbidden and permitted, the point wasn't to make, thing, make it hard for us. God, as, as it says, Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu L'Zakoi says Yisrael, The reason that God gave us so many commandments and so many things to do is because God wanted to draw us close to Him and give us so many opportunities to come close to Him. As I heard recently, there are five different Isurim, five different forbidden acts that one does if he would eat, let's say, an ant, uh, an insect. Five different prohibitions. And the reason, says Rashi, at the end of Makos, at the end of Tractate Makos, is because... God wanted to give us extra zikhuyos, extra merits, extra ways of coming close to Him. That is the purpose of the Torah. That is the purpose of spirituality. To raise the physical to the spiritual. To get closer to God, not just by being ascetic, not just by removing ourselves from the physical, but rather by raising the physical up to also be with God. In fact, we learn that in the world to come, that means the eternal spiritual world, we will have our bodies with us. That means we're not just going to be a spirit floating around in the spiritual realms, but you're actually going to have your physical body with you. Do you know why? Because your body is involved in all of the mitzvot. Your body is involved in all of the commandments. And your body has also gained and earned a reward and earned its right, its share in the world to come. That's why you're going to have your body with you as well. Because it also has to get what's coming to it. Because it was also involved in coming close to God. So therefore, a person is physical and spiritual forever. This is what we see, this is what we learn, this is the idea of the Torah, the unique idea that only Yiddishkeit, only Judaism has to offer. I thank you for listening. As I said before, if you have any questions or comments, please email me, Ari Goldwag, A-R-I-G-O-L-D-W-A-G, at gmail.com. Have a great chance.